Well, brothers and sisters, again, it is good to see you. Good morning to you all, and friends, welcome to you. I hope you've had a, a good week uh, and, and a good weekend so far. This, this morning, we're going to be starting Exodus chapter 18, and we'll begin reading there in just a moment. We just finished the four crises, 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 whatever, crises that take place between the Red Sea and Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb where the Lord gives his people the law. You might remember those crises being one of running out of water within a couple days of leaving the Red Sea and then soon after that, a couple weeks later after that, they would run out of food, and then they would run out of water again. And then last week, as we saw in the fourth crisis, the attack of the Amalekites upon Israel. And that ensued a battle between Israel and the Amalekites. And you can go back and you can listen to all that. We'll need to repeat all of those things. But here this morning, there are no more crises, at least at this moment. There are no more, there are no more crises in and here in chapter 18, necessarily. But there actually is a good, a good news story. A story that is encouraging. A, co- a story that is helpful. A story that recounts the, the faithfulness of God and how one family member tells another family member of God's faithfulness and God's salvation. And they... They rejoice in the power of God to save his people. Now, before we read, just to kind of give you some instructional notes about the word of God, the Bible is not always organized chronologically. Okay, we understand that, that historically it's not always organized chronologically, right? Historic, which means in a historical order according to time. Is it a historical, as it is a historical, accurate account of the work of God and salvation history and Jesus and Israel and the church? Absolutely. But being a history book primarily is not the purpose of the Word of God. It is to tell, it is to tell the story of God's great salvation of his people. And the reason why I'm telling you that this morning is because when we read chapter 18. You're going to be cued into a few details of of being, we haven't gotten there yet. And that is true. Chapter 18, chronologically, probably should come somewhere after chapter 20. But again, chronologically, historical order of time is not the point of the Bible. This particular part of chapter 18 is put here intentionally to serve as a point of transition from the wilderness narrative and into the the giving of the law starting in chapter 19 and 20. So this serves, chapter 18 serves as a bookend, in a sense, to this wilderness uh, narrative that began in chapter 15. And those who have been with us, you'll understand, all the way back in chapter 15, there was the great song of Moses where, where they rejoiced in the salvation of God. God's people rejoice in the salvation of God. And as we will read, The book end of this particular part of the story will end with the rejoicing of a Gentile, of the salvation of God. And so intentionally, there is a book end here to tell us of the salvation that God God has given to his people. And it's not just the salvation of his people, but it's the salvation that all the world will hear and rejoice in. So let's look at chapter 8. Before I spill the beans completely... Of my sermon, let's, let, let's look to chapter 18, and let's begin reading in verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. Along with her two sons, the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he has said, my, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons 
and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and, your two, and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that came upon them in, in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh. He has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And now I know, that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And this is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. This morning, I hope to deliver to you a much simpler sermon this morning, still encouraging for you. I know the last couple weeks, few weeks, as we've been in the Wilderness Narrative series, that these sermons have been quite serious, and we have been dealing with some difficult realities particularly last week as we dealt with the reality of evil in our world and the spiritual battle that we are in and the ways that the Lord has given to us to face that battle, to wage that battle. Now, I know even weeks earlier we've talked of big topics as well as, well as other, of the, the other crises of the, the heaviness of the sovereignty of God and his providence to bring us into the wilderness. Yes, even to test us. He brings us into hard places and trials and difficulties to test us, to bring a fire into our lives, to purify us, to expose our unbelief, to strengthen our faith and to show us that our greatest problem is sin and ourselves, and yet our greatest hope is him alone and he has so faithfully provided. That's what he's doing. And those difficulties and trials, they're they, they uproot in our hearts and our minds. They uproot even physically in our, the ways that we respond, like Israel and the grumbling and the, and the complaining and the believing lies that, that sin would be better. Back in Egypt, slavery would be better. Pharaoh was better to me than this. It believing lies, it exposes these things, the doubts and the fears, etc., just like Israel. But also in these trials, they show us how the Lord also responds to our needs and that he faithfully provides more and more grace. He continues to give grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. He provides for our good. And as we even saw in one of those weeks, that the Lord has given us rest. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our Sabbath, is our rest. There has been so much that we've talked about over these weeks. And like I said, over these weeks, it's been quite weighty. And today, I hope to be a little bit simpler and a little bit easier and, Lord willing, maybe even more comforting and encouraging. And I think because this text warrants that. In chapter 18, as we have just read in verses 1 through 12, it is about the return of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, back to the story. And who, who comes out to Moses to meet Moses and to meet Israel out in the desert as they are at the mountain of God. And Jethro brings Moses' family back with him, his wife and his two sons. We're introduced to Jethro back in chapter 2 with, with Moses when he was fleeing out of Egypt and he comes to the land of Midian and he meets Jethro in his 
and his daughters, and guess what? He ends up marrying one of them, Zephora, and he spends 40 years in the desert shepherding sheep. And then after chapter 3, the, building, or the burning bush narrative where Moses meets God at the burning bush, Moses asks his father-in-law permission to go back to Egypt and do what the Lord had told him to do. And, and Jethro tells Moses, go in peace. And then sometimes after the weird story of chapter 4 where, where we read where Moses had neglected to circumcise his his own son, and then, and then after the exodus of Egypt, or during the exodus of Egypt, at some point in time between then and now, Zephora took, his, took the family, took the boys back into the land of Midian. So this is a very simple passage, as we have just read, of this family reunion. The family that is reuniting together. But the greater joy is not the reunion of the family together, but what we read in here is the, the greater joy is the recounting of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And then we hear Jethro rejoice and believe and trust in the Lord. Now that we are on the the doorsteps already of Thanksgiving this year, it's just being a few days away, I think it would be good to be encouraged like them, like Moses and his family was. I think it would be good for us to be encouraged by the goodness of God toward his people. And in particularly when we gather with our families. I love Thanksgiving. Practically, at least for my part, it's fairly easy, especially in comparison to other holidays like Christmas is coming. You know, the food is always wonderful at our meal, as I'm sure it is, is with, with yours as you gather with your family and you have your certain traditions. I love getting together with, with my family. I only get to see them a few times out of the year, our kids only get to see their cousins, and I mean a lot of cousins, uh, a few times out of the year. They only get to see their grandparents a few times out of the year. It's, just, it's, different, it's a different thing for us. And that particular week also slows down for us. We get to take a breather. This is a very busy season. It's been a very busy season for our family, and this week, as we are looking forward to, will be time just to take a breather. We get to go to my parents' farm and we take the camper and make this quarter of a whole deal out of it. The boys will get to get dirty and see the horse and maybe even go play with the pigs. It'll be a grand time. It's good. It is a good time of family reunion. But the reason for the gathering, if it wasn't for this one particular holiday, would we still gather this week? And the answer is probably not. We would find something to busy ourselves with and Continuing on, the reason for this time is this, the holiday, the shared holiday that we have. Yes, it's a secular holiday instituted by secular men and secular governments and blah, 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 blah. But we understand the, the reality and the truth of the Christian life of the importance of giving thanks. The fundamental mark or evidence of a Christian is one who has a heart that is filled with thanksgiving toward the Lord. Show me someone who calls themselves a Christian and yet has no thankfulness or gratitude, then I will show you someone who is lacking deep faith, lacking transformation or renewal. And in this, I see in this passage, I see this family that, that gathers together, in a family reunion, and it's not Thanksgiving for them, but it turns into a Thanksgiving. It turns to a giving of thanks and rejoicing and remembering. And I think that this passage serves then for us today. And yes, being on the eve of Thanksgiving, it can be a simple reminder to us that no matter what day it is, 
No matter what time of the year it may be, as, as difficult as life may be and how upside down this world may be, or even how maybe our families are, our family situations may be not as good or great or as happy as maybe I've painted as mine would be, that this is a reminder for each and every one of us that if you are in Christ, you have so much to be thankful for. You have so much to be thankful for. And so what I want to share with you this morning is three things which not only teach us to be thankful, but teach us to keep our eyes upon the Lord. If you look at verse 1, we're introduced to Jethro, who's called the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Jethro, as we've already said, is a, is a Midianite. Jethro is not an Israelite. Jethro is a Gentile. And he's also a priest of the gods of Midian. We don't know exactly the extent of what that actually means, of the position he served, except for as a priest of the, the gods of Midian. But I think it's fair to say that, uh, that Jethro worshipped his own tribal gods, and he would lead others in the worship of their tribal gods. And so there comes Moses into their life who introduces to Jethro the one and only true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't know the name Yahweh yet, remember. But the God of, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and you can imagine the conversations over 40 years around the fire of religion, and, and I'm sure Jethro is agreeable in the sense that, yeah, sure, there is the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and, you know, we're pantheistic. Why not? Add another one to the spectrum. But, but when Moses would say, yeah, but he is the one true and living God, the only one true and living God. So you can imagine the conversations they had and the arguments in some sense or the debating back and forth that would that would come you know that would that's that's good for for you we'll agree to disagree but here came the game changer the game changer of verse one which i think is the very reason why jethro had come out to moses because he had heard all that the Lord had done for Moses and for the people of Israel. How God had delivered them out of Egypt. Now, despite Jethro being an unbeliever, right? He is a pagan. He is a Gentile. Jethro still seems to be a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy. He's a decent guy. He's an upright guy. He's the kind of father-in-law any man wouldn't mind having. He's been supportive. Then the supportive of, of letting him marry his daughter. Supportive in the sense when, when Moses came down from the burning bush and Moses came to him and told him the harebrained scheme that he's going to go into Egypt and demand the Pharaoh all by himself that the Lord God has said to let his people go. Okay, Moses. That's what you think you need to do. I mean... They've been there for a while, and their, their God hasn't delivered them yet, but hey, go in peace. And now, after the exodus, the news is spread across the region that, guess what? What the Lord God had told Moses to do, Moses told Jethro that he was leaving to do this, has happened. Has happened. Egypt is in shambles. Their army is almost destroyed. He hears what the Lord has done. Israel is free. The unbelievable has happened. It would literally take an act of God, and that is the news that they heard, that this was an act of God. And because of that news, Jethro 
goes to his son-in-law and he brings his family with him, his wife and his two sons. And now what's also interesting here, and particularly about Moses and his sons, is as of, as of right here, right now, in, in Exodus chapter 18, we didn't know that Moses had two sons. We only, we only knew Moses had one son. And this is the first son that we knew about was, was Gershom. But he has two sons. We don't know when this other son was born. We don't know what. It's just that he has two sons. And in their names, Moses tells a story. And we see that story right here in the text. And he says Gershom, which means, his name means a, a, a foreigner there. Or Moses says it to us. He tells us what it means to him is that I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And this is, this is what Moses is telling us. He is telling us that for most of my life, I have been a foreigner living in Egypt or Midian. I have had no home or no people. That's telling of this this 80 years of his life. And then he tells of his second son named Eliezer. And his name means my God is help. And Moses says it again. He tells us what that means. He says that the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And there's a reason why Moses is telling us about their names. And I'm going to tell you in just a moment. Why he's telling us these things. It's kind of just like interjected within here in this story. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. And so the family reunites, right, in verse 5. At where? The mountain of God. Right? Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, same place. And certainly Moses is anticipating the coming of his family. Jethro sent word, hey, I'm coming. Moses is excited to see his family, to see his wife, to see his son. He's He's thinking about his sons. We see that in the text. He's thinking about his sons. He's thinking about their names. But where is Moses waiting for them? Where are the people of God? They are at the mountain of God. And when was the last time Moses was at the mountain of God? He was shepherding sheep. And the Lord met him at the mountain. And there at the burning bush, he met God. And now all that God had told him to do all that God had promised that he would do, the Lord did. The Lord fulfilled all of his promises, all the things that he said that he was going to do. And now Moses is sitting there no longer as a shepherd of sheep, but a shepherd of a nation. Think about that. Think about that, what that does to a man when they see a particular place that reminds them of where they once were and now where God has brought them. Where God has brought them. The Lord has fulfilled his promises not only to Moses, but to his people, this nation that is there. And I say that to you, this, because as we read these verses in this family reunion, as they are at the mountain of God, as Moses is remembering the names of his children and what they recall, what they mean to him, as it tells the story of his life, and he's at the mountain of God, thinking back of where he was before and where he is now, we read that Moses, in all of this, I think in these verses, this is what he's doing in anticipation of his family coming, is that Moses is pondering the faithfulness of God. He is pondering and thinking of the faithfulness of God. We, we don't know this, but maybe this is the first time in a while Moses has had a chance to sit down and just breathe and think about of all the things that the Lord has done and to give real serious thought to all that has happened. This slowdown in chapter 18 is him just taking a breath and pondering of the faithfulness of God. With crisis after crisis, traveling and moving this massive group of people, I'm sure he doesn't have time to sit down and think, and to talk, or to think and to ponder on these things. And thinking about the, the family reunion, the seeing his father-in-law and his wife and his sons, again, whose names are reminding him, as he says it here, he's telling his name, he thinks of his sons, and this is what he thinks of. He thinks of what the Lord has done. 
And now all of that in the shadow of the mountain of God. I'm sure Moses' mind and heart were stirred toward the faithfulness of God. Which, and this is why I tell you this is one of the bookends for this particular part of the story. Because this is in stark contrast to Israel. Israel wasn't thinking of God's faithfulness. Israel wasn't thinking of of what God has done to save them in each one of those crises in the desert. And in stark contrast, here is the man of God, God's prophet, the type of the one to come, Jesus Christ, is thinking of the faithfulness of God. Doesn't that encourage you? It does to me. Because I know, as you know, that life is very busy. This has been a very busy season for our family and myself. And and I know we are all busy. We are all busy. There's so many demands on us daily that keeps us going before the sun comes up. And it keeps us going well after the sun goes down. There's good busy, there's bad busy, and sometimes good busy becomes bad busy. With all sorts of things that not only exhaust us physically and mentally, but also become spiritually draining. O church of Christ, O beloved of God, this, this is the Lord's day. And I think with all Sundays should be, as the Lord has built right into our calendar daily, our calendar every week, not only for the gathering of his church, but for the fellowship of his church and for the rest of all, and for our own rest, but this is also a day of pondering. This is a day to set our hearts and our minds on the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. This day in itself reminds us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Sunday. Put a smile on your face. The Lord is risen. And we gather in his name of the the living Savior. Ponder on the faithfulness and goodness of God. It is Sunday. And yeah, we are reminded that we are sojourners in a foreign land. And yes, we can be dry spiritually. We can be hungry spiritually. We can be pulled in many different directions. And our focus on the Lord can be blurred and distracted and moved upon, but oh Christian, as the old song goes, count your blessings, name them one by one, and see what the Lord has done. Christ has been raised from the dead, one. God sent his son, two. God saved you before the foundation of the world, three. Everything else is trivial compared to this. Ponder the faithfulness of God. Boast only in Christ. And I hope that today being Sunday and also being in this season of thanksgiving, that in your hearts you would ponder to celebrate. To celebrate not in the shadow of the mountain of God, but in the shadow of the cross. And to ponder as Moses did and delight in the Lord that yes, you are a sojourner in a foreign land, but he is your help. And to delight in the Lord because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Secondly, as it is good for us to ponder and to remember the faithfulness of God, then surely, then surely it must be good for us to tell of the faithfulness of God. To tell of the faithfulness of God. You look in verse 7. Moses goes out to, to greet his family, and he does so in the traditional way. He bows down, and he kisses his father-in-law as a sign and an honor and respect to him. 
Remember, his father-in-law is a Gentile. He's an unbeliever. He's a pagan. And yet he still shows respect and honor to him. And that teaches us something, right? Just kind of, just kind of a real side note, if we could just kind of get real narrow with the point here. That, that teaches something about humility and love even before unbelievers. Some of our family members, some of our family members that we are going to see and encounter over Thanksgiving, or maybe all of our family might be unbelievers. But that does not change that we should love them, that we should care for them, that we should honor them, that we should serve them, that we should show hospitality that is, that is appropriate to them. I read in a commentary this week to the point, it said, respect your family members because your love for them is essential to effective evangelism. Unbelievers don't always know if we are telling them the truth. It takes the Holy Spirit to know God's word. And without the Spirit, they cannot know the truth about Jesus Christ. What they do know is whether or not we love them, really love them. Sometimes what turns people away from Christ is not his gospel, but our failure to live by its love. And that's what Moses shows here. He shows this respect and love for his father-in-law. He loved his father-in-law, who was an unbeliever, a priest to false gods. But how he really loved him was not merely the respect and honor of bowing before him and kissing him and all that, how he really loved him was telling him the good news. Moses told him the good news of the gospel of the Lord's salvation. Moses had a gospel to tell Jethro. Very good news of the Lord's salvation. And after they caught up together, you see that in the passage, I, I love that. That's, that's, that's human connection, not just to them, but it connects us a gajillion years later, you know, thousands of years later, to them, that we understand that when we see family, when you see family this week, you're going to hug their neck, and you're going to say, it is so good to see you, how you've been doing, how's your mom and them, you know, you're going to talk a little bit about sports, and you're going to have a good time, you're going to talk about the weather, you're going to talk about these particular things, the new jobs, and so on, you're going to you're going to catch up like they did. But it's in verse 8 where Moses begins to tell Jethro the whole story. Because this, after all, is what Jethro, why he came. Right? Moses tell, told his father-in-law, verse 8, All that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to all that the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, how the Lord had delivered them. Now, the word told is the same Hebrew word for proclaim. Because something great is here, and when we have good news to give, and when something great has to be said, we proclaim it. And Moses is proclaiming this good news to his father-in-law. Now, verse 8, we only get a summary of what Moses says, right? It says he tells him that all that the Lord has done. And the reason why we only get a summary is because we've just read all first 18, 17 chapters. We've already been through that. We know what the Lord has done. We only get a summary, but Moses tells him what the Lord has done, right? The centuries of slavery and the suffering of Egypt, they tell us, he tells him about the hand of God to act on behalf of his people to humble Egypt, to harden the heart of Pharaoh so that the Lord's glory and name might be said not only in Egypt but all over the, the world. He tells them about the ten plagues. How crazy is that, Jethro? You should have been there. There were locusts and locusts and gnats like you've never seen before. It was unreal. He told them of their redemption in the Passover. God shared with this meal and he told us to go take this lamb and sacrifice it and paint it over the doorpost. And our firstborn children were spared as we were hearing the cries of parents all over the nation. God delivered us. The story just keeps going. And God acted in such a way in the heart of Pharaoh to let us go. And then God brought us through the waters of judgment through the splitting apart of the Red Sea and destroying the armies of Egypt. 
He tells them about their times in the wilderness, that despite sin and unbelief in Israel, that God still was faithful to provide for them, to lead them, and to give, him his, give them his presence. And so Moses tells all that the Lord has done. The central part, the central part, the most important thing about what Moses told of, of Moses was not the good news of Israel, but the good news of what God has done. The good news, the main point that God that was that was delivered and what should have gotten across to Jethro and did was that the Lord God was their deliverer, that He was their Savior, that He was their rescuer. His message was God-centered. This wasn't a story about how Israel found their way back, but it was a story of how God reached down and rescued them out of slavery. Brothers and sisters, we have a very similar story to tell. But our story is far greater. The Exodus is only a small piece to tell the larger story of the good news of the gospel, and that is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it points to the gospel. The Exodus only delivered one nation, but our story is one of bondage to sin that the entire human race is enslaved to because of Adam. And though we were in sin and we rebelled against God, delighted in our own ways, and rejecting his, and making ourselves as enemies before God and with God, the Lord God still sent his Son to be a deliverer, to be a savior, to be our rescuer. His Son, named Jesus Christ, and that he would take upon himself our judgment, the wrath of God that was due to us. He took upon himself willingly so that we can be saved, so that we can be renewed and transformed and given new life. The Son of God died on the cross so that we could be saved and delivered. Listen to this passage from Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, meaning we are born in flesh and blood. He himself partook of the same things. Here's Christmas, right? Here's the incarnation. Christ took upon flesh. He became like one of us. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. What is our curse? What is our penalty? Death. And what did Christ endure? He endured death so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And to do what? to deliver all of those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. The Exodus is an awesome story, isn't it? But the only reason why we've spent so much time with it, we've preached through it, we're going to continue to go through Exodus, is because it is pointing to, like a spotlight, just going Yoop, right to the cross right to the gospel, right to Christ, the one who took on flesh and to die and to bear in himself the judgment and penalty to those who were subject not only to death but to lifelong slavery to sin and to set us free. And so we have crossed from death to life through Christ and his resurrection. We are promised eternal life. And yes, like Israel, we are still in the wilderness we are still in the wilderness of this fallen world. We are on the pilgrims on the road, and we are like Israel still, rebelling in our sin. That sin nature is still there, and it's at war with, our, with ourselves, with our spirits. And we still sound, and we act like slaves quite a bit. And yet we still see how the God is still so kind, and so loving, and so providing for us. Oh, brothers and sisters, not only do we ponder on the faithfulness of God, but this is the glorious good message that we have to tell. This is the amazing story to tell that's not about us. 
It is about the faithfulness of God. It is about His salvation and how He has brought you from death and slavery to sin to new life. Can you think of anything better to boast in and tell of today and this Thanksgiving than of the faithfulness of God? Unlike Jethro, they, your family, might have already heard this before. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard it before. And they may tell you that. We, we've heard it before. But have they heard it from you? And if your family is Christians, then praise God. You gather with other believers, still tell them of the faithfulness of God. And let that blossom into beautiful, glorious conversations that goes way beyond the stupid stuff that we like to entertain ourselves with. Those things are good too. But what else can we boast in besides Christ and Christ alone? If you've experienced the salvation of God and the salvation of our Lord, then how could our conversations only be about sports or weather or culture or politics, etc.? Our relationships are meant to be so much deeper. Boast in the Lord. Tell of Christ. Tell of what he has done. Tell of his faithfulness. Tell them about the cross. Tell them of the exodus that you took. And let that be the joy of your thanksgiving. And lastly, as we have pondered the faithfulness of God and we are to tell of the faithfulness of God, then rejoice in the faithfulness of God. Because that's why we ponder in it. It's why we tell of it. The response of Jethro to Moses telling him the good news is surprising. Look at verse 9. He rejoices for all that the Lord has done, all the good that God has done in salvation. He's rejoicing in the salvation of his people. Second, verse 10, Jethro worshiped the Lord, right? He blessed the Lord who has delivered him, delivered his people. And third, he, verse 11, Jethro confesses his faith. As we understand faith to be expressed in the Old Testament as God, the Lord Yahweh, being greater than all other gods. And so essentially what we see here is we see Jethro coming to believe in the salvation of the Lord. And his response of that is joy, faith, and confession. And again, so think about how crazy this is, right? Remember Jethro. Jethro is coming to faith. He's a, he's a pagan. He's a Gentile. He's not an Israelite. He's a Midianite. He's an unbeliever. And now, by God's grace, he comes to believe that the Lord God is the only God and that there is no other way to salvation but by him. And this tells us right here, as it bookends the, the faithlessness of Israel in so many ways, it bookends of the faithfulness of God to continue to fulfill his promises that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. The purpose of mission of Israel is to bring glory to God and that they would be a light to the nations of everything that the Lord has done. A number of times throughout Exodus, the Lord has told Israel that through the Exodus, by the story of the Exodus, the nations will what? They will come to know that I am the Lord. And here we have in one man, Jethro, an example of that promise being fulfilled. Now put that in contrast to last week, right? Last week the Amalekites Gentiles, pagans, came up against God's people, but now here we see God fulfilling a promise. Jethro, a Gentile, who is a part of the nations, would come to faith. And in verse 12, I think is the, is the climax of this whole narrative, because it tells us the result. It says, in Jethro, Moses' father brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before 
God. So we don't want to move past this too quick. So we move past these verses very quickly. And we don't want to because there's some big, major things that are being said here. Again, in Exodus, right, that's been fulfilled. We've been seeing some amazing stories and some amazing things take place. We've been seeing some amazing miracles. Some of the greatest of all miracles taking place in all the Bible in those last couple chapters, those last chapters that we've been, we've been going through. All the signs and wonders, the burning bush, the plague, the pillars of of fire and cloud, the splitting of the Red Sea, making dry land, the bread from heaven, water from the rock. I mean, some amazing, amazing things. But let me tell you this, that here in verse 12, that there is nothing more amazing than what is taking place right here in verse 12. I think that this is the, the climax of everything so far, that a Gentile, a Gentile comes to faith and offers sacrifices to the Lord. And then Jews sit down and eat with him. Wackadoo in that culture. Doesn't happen. And not only is this a beautiful picture of salvation and the drawing of the Gentiles, but it is also showing us something small in, 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 the, in, in, one, in a one-verse event, the climax of the complete fulfillment of the gospel. We see this, this restoration and renewal that takes place in the, New, in the New Testament between the Jews and the Gentile, that we become one. One faith, one baptism, one church. We become one. And we see ultimately in the work of the gospel and the uniting of his people. And their meal, I think, is a, is a pointing to the fulfillment of the gospel completely. That what they do together still continues to do, we still continues today. The Lord is saving his people for a meal. For an eternal banquet. And their meal points us to a greater meal to come. And that is where, et, where people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be brought together by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we will eat in his presence as our host. And we replicate that scene long ago. And we anticipate that the feast to come in eternity... Each time that we eat together, it's Christ's sacrifice that brings us together. And the fruit of his sacrifice is the eternal presence of God with his people. And this meal serves then as a reminder to us. Yet each time that we gather and we eat together, when we take the Lord's Supper, when we eat together, it should be a sweet reminder of the great eternal banquet that it is to come, that brothers and sisters, you are not going to get plagues, that you are not going to get rocks, and you are not going to get scorpions or snakes, but you are going to get the very presence of God. God our Father. It's like when we take the Lord's Supper. It reminds us that we have been saved for another meal. So think, think with me, brothers and sisters. Rejoice in the faithfulness of God. For you were once a rebel, an unbeliever, a pagan, a Gentile, an idolater. You were dead in your sin. You were an orphan. You were destined to death and eternal judgments. And I think that's a soft way to put it. And yet, by the grace of God, by the sovereign grace of God. He invaded your life. While you were still dead in your trespasses and sin. And by his grace, he called you out of darkness, out of that darkness, and into marvelous light. And he gave you the faith to believe. He removed the scales of sin on your eyes so that you would turn toward him in repentance. And then he pronounced upon you the only pronouncement that God can give. There is no other that can give this announcement, pronouncement. 
is that he said that you are justified. And then he didn't just let you go. He called you his son. An heir with Christ. To receive an undefiled, unfading, an imperishable inheritance that is being kept for you. He brought you into his family. He adopted you into his family. To come. Come and eat. Come and dine. The once defiled, the once unclean, the once rebel, the once enemy of God, the once who followed the evil, uh, followed the evil powers and spirits of this age, now by the grace of God has been transformed. And he is preparing you today for the marriage feast of the Lamb. O Church of Christ, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. A simple message with a simple application. Ponder much on the faithfulness of God. Tell of the faithfulness of God. And rejoice in the faithfulness of God. And when you gather with your families this Thanksgiving, regardless of the situation... I pray that you would be a loving light of the gospel of Christ and you would boast only in him. And I pray for you that your hearts would be filled with thankfulness and joy for Jesus Christ and that all will be done and rolled up for his glory. And knowing Christ, we know that we have been saved for so much more than just a meal here in this earth. So I pray blessings upon you and your family in these days. And may God give you grace and peace. I love you all. And all of God's people say,